I remember damage. Then escape. Then drift in a stranger's galaxy for a long time. But I'm safe now. I found it again. My home. Showstoppers? Howdy, howdy. It's been a minute. Actually, it <laughs> no, hasn't. It has because not. we've been really good at recording. Go us! Yeah, we're, we're, in our, we're in our new bodies. We're in our new forms of people that give a shit and are committed. And uh, yeah, we're following through on our resolution this year of staying more active yeah. and recording. Finding more excuses to do it. And we love it because we love you, Showstoppers <laughs> listeners. We love you so much. And we're so grateful for you. You're the only all thing in this world you. that matters to us. You're the only thing keeping us moving, all right? Exactly. And we're doing this for you, not for us in our own <laughs> selfish pleasures. <laughs> yes, you're welcome. <laughs> Speaking of which, yeah. Corey, I don't know if you know this, but we use a little system called Anchor we do. to re- post our post our shit <laughs> they've already they've um, already heard some talk about that uh on the episode yeah. probably right yeah because you hear like a little ad every time so uh uh anchor uh which is a great and lovely place to publish your podcast because it does <laughs> a lot of really good things um for us like posted to every possible venue you could possibly imagine uh-huh. did a nice little wrap-up of 2021 for us yeah um so i wanted to share with you and our biggest favorite people our listeners what we did in 2021 on showstopper and i'll be hearing this yeah i'm ready i'll be hearing this stuff for the first time every side everybody else so let's let's take a listen what you got for me bud it's a surprise for the listeners and for that's right (laughs) so uh showstoppers welcome to your 2021 wrapped let's go so first things first it says Hold on, it's loading. Oh, it literally <laughs> says, first things first. You had a lot of firsts this year. We had a lot of firsts. Okay, so let's see what they are. Go ahead. It's going really slow. I'm sorry. We're doing this in real time. <laughs> on January 18th of 2021, you released your first episode of the year. And that was our um, review of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which was the first movie Fun in out. our top five. Fun out. Uh, which is where we spent a lot of our year. The entire year, year Jesse. Five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the entire year. <laughs> That's depressing. Let's not talk about that anymore. Uh, we also had some impressive growth this year in followers. Uh, we had 120% growth in our listeners and Let's our followers go. for Showstoppers. So thanks, everybody. Wow. 120% increase. We're going to try and double that this year. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, we better start making the show good, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Um and then, let's see, you released 942 minutes of content across 11 episodes. Yeah, sounds about right. You know, I, I, yeah, I tend to go on about shit. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our average length of episodes is an hour and a half. <laughs> it did remind us also to drink water. And yes. then it says, thank you for sharing your 2021 with us. 
same time next year. Yeah. So we're hope to do it again, but better this year, Showstoppers. But I thought that was so cute. That rules. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, we're off to a strong year so far. I mean, like uh, today we just published the Succession episode, which is a lot of fun mm-hmm. to record. And uh, <laughs> but that among our longer episodes as well, there was a lot to dive into. That was there. almost two hours. Uh-huh. You're welcome, listener. Some real bonus content in there. Well, a lot, a lot of that was uh, spent on Scotchy the dog. A lot of that That's is dog true. talk. Uh, but yeah, this is our, our second episode of the year, and and our commitment to to record episodes more frequently. I think like we've been less precious about. Like, no, it has to be a special project. No, it has to be this big, like, uh, like year-defining event for us to talk about something. I think what we're talking about today is just a fun little surprise that came on the pop culture horizon that uh, neither one of us was expecting. But, Jesse, why are we here today, buddy? What are we talking about? Well, we are going to be talking about a little show on HBO called Station Eleven. That's right. Uh, And this is a cute little show based on a book. (laughs) And one of the things that we were talking about earlier was this is supposedly a miniseries. And we don't know exactly what that means. No, the the best we can reckon is that there is, uh, like, it should should also be said that we have not seen the entire thing yet. We've seen up to limited series that's right thank you thank you thank you i thought we had cut out our connection there for a second which might happen at some point today no uh no we've only seen up to the last episode of the season so there is still one episode remaining uh and then that could be it for station 11 and i i've been kind of digging the idea of let let's assume this is one season of television that we get let's assume that the story is going to be what it is at the end of episode 10 and there will be no more but so far like if if they want to give me another season, I'm watching it. Uh, it. Yeah. Right. But I would be okay with a series saying, hey, yeah. we are one season of great content, and that's it. Yeah. Um, and it's based on a book, Station Eleven. And so, you know, the book ends at a certain it place. It does, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I don't think we need to make up more story here. Um, Emily St. John Mendel, the author of Station <laughs> Eleven. What a name. Man, I didn't realize Incredible there were so shit. many pieces to that name. And I never um, know if an author's name is, like, embellished as a pen name. Uh, because right. that, that's, a, that's a privilege they enjoy as authors. They get to write their own name as well as the story they create. So good for, good yes. for Emily on picking a really, really lovely stately name. Solid. Um, did a great job. But, you know, like if the book ends in a place where Emily felt satisfied, yeah. then why can't we feel the same way about a TV show and have to make up shit and keep going? Yeah, you know, exactly. so I, I would be okay with a one badass season limited series for Station Eleven. So we'll see what happens because we don't actually know what it means. There could be a season two. Right, exactly. <laughs> and Jesse and I have different, like, we enjoy TV for different reasons. Uh, I think we've established that pretty firmly over the course of this show. We enjoy art for different reasons and we look for different things in art. But before we started recording, we, we were, she and I were talking about uh, like, okay. So for, as a, as a reference point here, Jesse is entirely caught up on two of the longest running television shows <laughs> that have ever existed in television history. And I, I could never, Jesse has seen every episode of law and order SVU and her dear dear survivor, which we covered in our first episode ever. Um, yeah. Je- Jesse is a committed, loyal, dedicated watcher of television, and I'm a complete flake that's always looking for the next big thing. <laughs> yes, um, they're, they're, which is 
really funny. Like right. I'm a rewatcher also, so like sure. I'll want to see the same show again and again. Like right now, I'm in the middle of rewatching Downton Abbey for maybe the fifteenth time. Yeah, right. Um, but I get so much enjoyment out of that. Whereas you like to see something fresh or new or different every time. Exactly, and I, I am kind of fascinated with like TV pilots as an idea, and I do I do love a good pilot, and I know that how difficult they are, and I I, I don't know. Uh, it, it's its own particular artistic expression, the first episode of a television show, and having watched the, probably thousands at this point, uh, it, it's its own art form unto itself. But I, I keep chasing that dragon, so to speak. I'm always looking for what is the next thing? What is the creator who made this thing I love working on next? And that leads me down rabbit holes that uh, that force me to watch far more content uh, than Do you than think I should. that's like a reflection of our nature as humans like am i a creature of comfort and are you a creature of change i it could be i think it's also because like we've just so take for example our episode on midsommar not a tv show that's a feature film uh but midsommar is a good example of like what you and i are craving from art uh so jesse was not a fan of the film midsommar and was kind of baffled by its existence in certain ways uh like mostly it's success right right exactly like why would someone do this to themselves? And I, on the complete polar opposite end, was like, I can't wait till this gets done to me again. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I loved this so much. Some people like to be just completely run over and dominated by the art that they consume. Uh, and that's something that I'm chasing all the time. I like to be taken out of my body for half hour, 42 minutes, whatever the case may be, and just told where to go, like kind of control yep. my art. It's really interesting because I feel that way, which Station Eleven is so closely related to sure. about theater, right? Mm -hmm. Like, throw me into uh, a, a seat in a theater and I'll see whatever you're willing to put up, you know? Like, we, when it comes to that context, go for it. I will do right. it. Um, and I will see it and I'll pay whatever amount of money to see it or whatever because I want to experience it. I feel differently about TV and film. I think for TV and film, I want to I want to know that I like it a lot right. before I embark on it. And and also even even Station Eleven was a perfect example. Like when we figured out we were uh -huh. going to talk about this, I was like, now I have to start something totally new. And I mean, listen, it's not for lack of enjoyment. I enjoyed watching the show, which we'll definitely get deeper into. But like I was I definitely had that. Here we go. Here I had to start again. something new. When when for <laughs> me, it's like starting a new TV series is an extremely exciting thing. Um, and right. I wanted to circle back to something you mentioned earlier, because you mentioned that, that there are art forms that can like transport you out of your here and now and can completely transport you somewhere else. Like like any good book does. I think it's assumed right. that, like if you're reading a book like that, that's what a book does is it takes you out of your brain, out of your body, and lets you exist in this little, little ether state, and you just get to float around in the story. Um, there is something about live performance, specifically theater, where they have taken you literally out of your home. Uh, they put you in seats uh, surrounded by strangers, uh, and you're watching something that is... Um, you're, you're tacitly agreeing with the performers that this is not real and at the same time it's the realest thing that we're committing to it's like a pact between the audience and the performers like we are agreeing to disregard society for the next two hours and you're gonna you're gonna put me in another world and i'm gonna trust you to do so whereas with television i'm on the same bed i was on where i was playing disco elysium for a couple hours earlier i'm on uh, you know uh, i'm in the same house where i made ramen noodles for lunch whatever the case may be uh so there's less 
less suspension of disbelief. It's more, I'm just in my reality. And if a TV show is good enough, it can break through that, capture my attention, and take me somewhere else. But it's not understood that that's what I'm giving to a television show. Mm, yes, yeah, that's a good way. That's a good way of addressing it. And I think what's so interesting about Station Eleven is it literally addresses both of those experiences, both a book taking you out of your world and it does. theater being a present um, sort of uh, a metaphor of change and influence, and uh, it's it's really it's really interesting, yeah. um, and I, I really enjoyed its comparisons. But one other thing we were kind of touching on was this idea. Uh, I, this is a book. Station Eleven sure. is a book, as we talked about. I am a big proponent, or I've always been a, a again a creature of habit here of wanting to be able to read the book before. I see the visual thing. And I think mostly for me, that's because the moment I'm influenced by a physical representation, then I don't get to sort of create that in my head right. anymore as right. I read the book. I then immediately picture those actors. I picture that that setting, whereas when I'm reading it for the first time on its own, I get to create those things. But I'm wondering if you have a perspective on that experience. Well, yeah. Uh, and this is all came, coming out of an anecdote of a conversation you had with a former guest, friend of the show, <laughs> past and future guest, I'd say, Alexa Roselli, of like Shout out. Uh, Alexa feels that she has like calcified the part of her brain that would prevent her from distancing two different modal expressions of the same piece of artwork, where she can watch the TV show of something, then read the book that it was adapted from, and see them as two completely compartmentalized pieces of work. Uh, I, I feel much the same way that Alexa does. Uh, I'm not too terribly influenced by one artist's uh, interpretation of something. Um, but I do, however call my shot before something comes out of which I'm going to experience first. When I know I want to dive into both versions of something, I'll pick which one I want to do, and I will deliberately withhold the other part for myself until later. Sure. So I do want to start this book, uh, but I will not be doing that until the series is over. I, do, I don't want my, my peas to get mixed up with my mashed potatoes, so to speak. I want them to be yeah. separate on the plate, you know? I'm with you on that for sure. The other, the other interesting point that she brought up was this idea that when you are when you when you read a book first you're maybe setting yourself up for disappointment if if the TV show or movie doesn't directly follow the exact plot points yep. of the book and yep. I thought that was the best argument yep. to watch the TV show first versus read the book because mm -hmm. you're right it wouldn't set you up for that extreme disappointment of oh it wasn't what I pictured in my head, yeah, you know, because you're because you're the designer when you're reading the book. You're the aesthetic uh, hand behind the wheel when you're reading the book. You're directing inside your own head. So yeah, when you're reading the book, you can cast every role. You can set it in different locations. You can interpret things how you want, uh, and a lot of those decisions are made for you uh, when you watch. Well, the maybe that's show. it. I just really want to be the director yeah, of every yeah. book that <laughs> exactly. I want to read. So, so do I. Like I'm glad <laughs> to see you have the same desire. Like I want, uh, like I, every book I read is becomes kind of this precious object. To me where I have the definitive uh, the direction to go creatively to bring this to life uh, and, and sometimes you're just like completely humbled when you eventually do see the thing that was made out of it um, but uh, yeah like, like the whatever but uh, the, you do when you read the book first you do kind of come away with like scenes that can only play out in one particular direction in your head and it inevitably leads to, to disillusionment and maybe frustration when you see the final thing Right, right. 
But in this case, I watched first. <laughs> yeah, we sure did. As did you. Uh-huh. <laughs> so we're in the same boat for this one. Neither do we want to tacitly imply that either of us has read this book, because we have not. Uh, this is still very <laughs> brand new to us as a media property. Uh, but Station Eleven, yeah, let, let, let's talk about what it is. What, what is the thing we're talking about? So Station Eleven was published in 2014 by Emily St. John Mandel and went on to be uh, widely renowned. It's an extraordinarily popular book. It's an enormous bestseller. Uh, uh, and this adaptation, um, the, both the book and the adaptation of this work predate our current state of affairs in the world. Um, this is a book and a TV show about a worldwide pandemic wiping out the global population. Uh, neither of those things uh, were conceived of after COVID happened. This was by accident. It's a complete surprise to the cast and crew and uh, the creative forces. But... Station Eleven. Station Eleven tells the tale of a global pandemic that wipes out 99% of the population, uh, leaving very few survivors to kind of determine the world that they want to live in. Uh, And we follow multiple characters across multiple timelines to see how they've grown and developed as people and how the people they were born as have determined the world that they've made around them. Is the best I can summarize this right now. You did great. That was perfect. (laughs) So so it's, it's an enormous story. And there's a lot of timelines involved, and a lot of it is emotional storytelling and uh, playing with with memory and empathy and small unspoken gestures. The Jesse and I thought the easiest way to break the story down and talk about it was going to be person by person, like on a character by character basis, right? Definitely. Okay. Because I think at the end of the day, the show is really a character study of each of these humans that is experiencing or maybe didn't experience, but has grown up in the time, in the new time Uh of, of this new world that they live in. But I think we should start with the initial reaction to the show because yeah, go for it because this show started filming just before the pandemic. So again, like the actors, the people, like they didn't really have any idea that the pandemic was actually going to happen. Correct. And they're literally making, a show about the pandemic. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> um, if I understand correctly, which... I think everything in the winter, which would have been some of the earlier episodes in the series or some of the earlier timelines in the story being told, were shot pre-pandemic and everything in the summer was shot post-pandemic. They had to break for quite a while and shoot in the uh, right. summer of 2021, I think. And um, what I think is really interesting about that is going into it, Knowing I had an idea of what I was about to watch, one of the main reasons I did not want to watch it yeah. is because of the subject matter being so closely related to what we are going through yes, ma'am. as humans yes, ma'am. at the moment. <laughs> and obviously the show becomes even more cathartic as a result of that, but it was like I found myself wanting to like look away at moments or like being so cringy at moments because of the reality of the situations we're facing in real time. Yeah, absolutely. Like, just in case this episode is ever time capsule, right? Like, <laughs> Omicron is, has emerged on the scene. And yeah, bud. really contagious and is moving really fast. And luckily, knock on wood, um, unlike the Georgia flu in this <laughs> book, uh, it is not as deadly. Yeah, no shit. Um, but 
it is fucking scary yeah, to watch is. this shit. It is. Because it, it's a heightened version of thoughts we've all had for the last couple of years. And yes. it, it, it's it's interesting. I was rewatching the first episode today, like right before we started recording. And there are several moments in there where it's clear that this show was written and shot before the world had a much more rich understanding of COVID protocol and flu yes. protocol. So there are like pe- people taking masks off in the hospital, a doctor <laughs> doing that. Uh People people openly coughing in theaters just kind of gives me like goosebumps uh, right now. Like it's a completely different experience now under uh, Omicron. But yeah, that's th- this was a show written with, and they got a lot of things right about how people react to these sort of things. Uh, but it's really interesting yep. watching it as the particular audience we are right now. Well, how did you react to that as you were watching it? Well, I I mean. I I reacted it through kind of through the prism of knowing that I was going to talk to you about it at some point. I didn't, it doesn't fuck with me as hard as I thought it might have done you. Cause I know that with our experience talking about horror uh, media in the past, right. I know that you can be impacted emotionally by, by film and TV to a greater degree than I can, or we respond to different things. Um, so I, it didn't bother me too, too much. Cause this is, I'm watching it through a TV screen and these are people I've never met in a city I've not been to in years. And it's uh, it's fine. It's a TV <laughs> show. Um, but I'm, I'm much more interested in what your reaction was. Like, was this was hard this? to watch? Yes, and this is not a deterrent from making you stop watch the show no. because it's well worth a watch. But holy shit, is it hard to watch? Yeah. Um, like, because it's it could be so real. It's scary, and I hate that. And I my imagination just runs wild with the possibilities, yeah. you know. And so I think that's what makes it really really scary, and you know, also makes you reflect on human nature and be like, wow, shit, would we really react like that? <laughs> and the answer right. is probably yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I think that those things to me make it hard to watch, and it makes it more like. Um, uh, uh, the experience of a horror movie to me because the, of the possibility of the reality, you know? Um, but, but I think if the show delighted in the, the carnage of it all, if this was like The Walking Dead, for instance, a show that doesn't have a ton of humanity, doesn't have a ton of empathy for the actual events and loss of life depicted on the show and kind of like revels in it, um, then, then I would not have recommended this to you. Uh, as the series goes on, we don't spend a ton of time talking about the flu itself. There right. isn't a lot of quarantine content that we dive into there. It's m- way more concerned with characters. And that's why each, uh, basically each episode, despite crisscrossing uh, the United States and going back and forward in time, concerns itself with people rather than events. There are events that happen and big ones, but it's 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 a human story above all. It's about how you might respond were this the case. Yeah, it's it's a good call because that's that's what makes it digestible to continue watching. <laughs> yes, yes. This would be a total slog and I would not be craving a second season if it was just like misery porn or cruel or inhuman. Uh, no, this is a very, very humane show uh, made yes. by very kind people. Um, and, you know, to, to sort of dive in a little bit here, like one of the first characters we meet is Jeevan. That's um, right. And Jeevan is sort of a through, well, they're all through lines. You see them all from. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> from what are they, how do they frame the, the timeline from the before to uh-huh. the first 100 
uh-huh. to what do they 20 call it years after? later yeah the first yeah. 100 i don't know what they call I, it after. best i can surmise is that there's 10 years before there's day zero there's the first 100 days and then there's uh, 20 years after the fact right okay so that's basically it yeah we sort of approach these characters i think right from the start inside of a theater um mm-hmm. uh or does she deliver the book first? I can't remember exactly. But. No, we, we cut back to that. Well, basically, we're in the theater. It should be said, let's let's clear it up right now, that this show does not spend more than like five minutes at a time in a particular timeline. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's almost like it's cubist in a way because it's telling a story that's completely fractured and made up of like any particular conversation two characters are having is a conversation that's stitched together from uh, over the course of 30 years and 20 different life events that they've experienced. And we're constantly editing and cutting rapid pace back and forth between timelines and events to kind of patchwork into the story that's being told. Does that, is that the experience you have with it? Yep. It okay. bounces okay. around a lot. So you gotta, you gotta say, oh, how, yeah. how long is his beard here? You know, to, to really where you are. <laughs> yeah. Or, or how much overgrowth is there on the gas station? Like, what is the, <laughs> what, what is the, like, the plants in this show are kind of like the timeline markers yes. of like the overgrowth of nature gradually reclaiming the earth from the people. Uh, the more trees you see, the more foliage you see, the later in the timeline we are. Yeah, in death there is life, you know. That yeah, that's right, bud. <laughs> um, and they are really pretty, those moments that you see where so beautiful. the working the working L to the overgrown mm-hmm. planty L um yeah. is pretty amazing actually. Like it's it's kind of gorgeous the way they have they have filmed that and uh, and the first thing we that. see in the series is those little, uh, the feral hogs rummaging through the theater. Uh, yeah. This completely overgrown, like, lush forest setting that we zoom out to reveal is the theater at the start of the show. And these pigs are just, like, looking for food. Like, Which nature has completely come back. Yeah. beautiful image. It, re- it really is. Yeah. Like, theaters are beautiful in and of themselves, or at least the majority of them are. And then to see it overgrown in the, like, it looked like a set that they had chosen to to create in a theater space, but in reality, yeah. it was something that had overcome the theater space. It was it was really beautiful. And the production design of the show is fucking phenomenal. It's <laughs> there's so much attention paid and so much detail. And they're having you can see they're having so much fun. Like when you see the different timeline versions of recognizable sets, uh, be it uh Frank's apartment, the theater, gas station set, uh, or at the airport, exactly how how humans have uh, left and come back just long enough to like inflict their will on a place and repurpose it to their own designs and stuff. It's extremely cool, and like the the costumes of the traveling symphony. I know we're bouncing around a lot. I'm so sorry, but. <laughs> we are. Like seeing like the inanimate objects and just the everyday stuff that they've kind of cobbled together into their beautiful, beautiful costumes for the plays. It's just yeah. you can tell they're just having a blast making this thing. So yes, we 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 start with a the theater and leaving Jeevan uh, <laughs> at the theater uh, uh-huh. with his presumably girlfriend uh, or yes. somebody when a major event happens. Yes, that's right. That is Arthur Lander has a heart attack on stage, and we see Jeevan sort of make his first move as a character, which um, is really interesting because he jumps up, uh, he sees this man 
having a medical issue and everyone's like it's part of the play it's part of the play in reality it's not and he recognizes that it's a heart attack and he jumps up on the stage with no medical experience <laughs> no, whatsoever none whatsoever he jumps up there to call for a doctor <laughs> yeah but but it's it's very expressive of the person he is the person wants to help he yes. wants to heal he wants to help everybody around him and he can't help but to do so uh which means he's the perfect person uh to uh to take care of our, our young kirsten um so and we'll we'll get to actors and performances pretty soon but uh the, these are our two uh, can't call them main characters, uh, really, but they are Maybe kind of the like focal points of most of the lines. show. Major through lines, yeah, they're kind of the beating heart of the show, and there are connection as an audience to the characters inside the show. Uh, but Jeevan and Kirsten, um, strangers up until that very moment, Jeevan is backstage after having uh, like incompetently tried to help uh, <laughs> Arthur Leander at his death. Um, he sees this this young actress who was a like a, just a child performer in the play, kid actor, you know, uh, un, unsupervised, like untethered from life, has no support system. News is coming over the wires that there is a deadly outbreak that we shall be concerned with. Uh, and she even takes it upon himself despite not fucking wanting to, uh, to, to care for this girl. To ask the simple question, like, where are your parents? How are you getting home? How do you usually get home? Okay. Like, do you want to come with me? I know this is strange, but I can get you home if you'd like. And then, then we're off to the races. But man. at the same time, even in those first 10 minutes of the movie, he had ample opportunity to ditch this kid. And almost did on several occasions. Yeah, every time. (laughs) Yeah, Jeevan is Jeevan's kind of a shithead. Uh, Jeevan is kind of a flake, and he's kind of an asshole in certain moments. Like uh, when they're outside of the grocery store in episode one, uh, he's he lets her leave temporarily before calling her back. He was like, "Okay, here's some here's some money for a cab." Like. Good luck. Like, be easy. Actually, doesn't uh, even do that. He's there. like, do you have money for a cab? And do you like, have yes. money for a cab? That's right. Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but then he fakes a text message from her parents because uh, he knows that uh, that way lies death, that there's nothing out there for her. Right. Uh, so this is the first of many expressions of just humanity and longing and um, a, a, a person having to make a decision that is inhuman and like outside of their realm of experience, uh, but choosing to be kind, choosing to uh, to forge a path with another uh, with a stranger, basically. Yeah, and what is what is really interesting about his relationship with young Kirsten is that he is realizing everything that's happening to the world alongside of this person who can't take care of themselves necessarily. Um, so, you know, they get to her parents' house and they don't answer. Um, he understands that everyone is dying, so they have to get to a safe space. And right. he chooses to bring her along and he he wants to be helpful. Like, this is what's so great about this character, who I would say is probably, I would argue, my favorite Um character uh jeevan because he he wants to help but he has all of these natures inside of him that tell him to not be helpful um or to run away which we we get a little bit deeper into later in the episodes um but he is a, a character study and he is a really um you feel so much empathy for him, but then you also look at him like, what are you doing <laughs> at some points? Help that little girl. Yeah. Don't just don't just assume she's going to go inside. Go get her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, Jeevan and Kirsten eventually make their way to Frank's apartment. But bef- uh, before we move on, do you want to circle back to uh, Miranda and Arthur? 
yes, we should establish those two characters. Yes, exactly. <laughs> in this beginning so back, timeline. <laughs> backstage. Oh, yeah. We're also in Chicago. This is a huge story. So yes. uh, backstage on the night of their uh, premiere of King Lear. Um Arthur Leander, played by Gail Garcia Bernal, uh, is having a meeting with his ex, Miranda, uh, played by uh, Deadweiler. What's her name? Danielle so Deadweiler. Danielle Deadweiler. Thank you. Who is my favorite performance of the show? No fucking question. Uh, absolutely. She's like, <laughs> She's I was very knocked good. out by this performance. Incredibly good. Um, but he meets with his ex. The story is fleshed out later in the series, but she presents him with this long in the works comic book that she's been working on forever, which gives the show its title. It's called Station Eleven. Uh, and Station Eleven is the story of this astronaut aboard this non functioning spaceship in space, um, looking down on the ruin of a completely destroyed Earth. Um, and it's very poetic. Uh, if you ask Jeevan, it's very pretentious. I think it might be also. Um, but but this is the motif that recurs throughout the entire series. Um, I saw, I remember damage, then escape. Uh, and uh, we're given moments throughout the show where Dr. Eleven, the astronaut in the book, um, appears behind characters. And this is just an artistic flourish whenever someone is considering leaving or fleeing or rejecting the part of their humanity that would force them um, to put themselves in the life of another. Uh, we see Dr. Eleven appear behind them. Um, and it's it's a very, very beautiful metaphor. Uh, just having this little astronaut pop up in a closet somewhere whenever someone has made the decision to be alone, to choose solitude. It's really lovely. Yeah, it is. And the the through line of this book is fascinating because, you know, if we're going to veer into characters here, you know, I wonder what Miranda's connection to the story is. Like, I don't know if that's something we find out more about. But I don't know either. That's what I'm really curious about, is that are, are we getting another Miranda episode? Right. Uh, so Miranda as a character, despite being like the 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 impetus behind so many journeys for so many different characters just by virtue of having written this book she's determined the destiny of at least kirsten and the character yet to be named who i love also um but she she defines the show by her absence uh, which is very fitting and poetic given that she is the astronaut basically she wants to flee she's at her best when she's disappearing and when she's running away um but we get very little of her she has one focus episode and then she's basically gone and the series is kind of like haunted by the idea of miranda for the rest of it yeah and ultimately in that episode that we see for sticking on miranda here for a minute let's go um she's in she's in where close to singapore at malaysia point, malaysia yes. um yeah. and on a work trip and uh -huh. she uh, has decided or, you know, she and her co-worker are figuring out that the world is ending and she she cannot flee. She tried no. and it did not <laughs> it work. It didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> um, there were some things that got in the way, including uh -huh. the death of her, her partner, her love, uh, Arthur. Or she figures it out while she is trying to escape, which ultimately prevents her from escaping. Right. And there's this great scene where she is you know taping up a room with the what do they call it like the hotel like um, the disaster kids the like disaster kids. Kid. yeah and i just thought this scene was so heartbreaking and beautiful because she has this bag of masks and a water bottle and duct mm -hmm. tape 
And that was the saddest shit, Jesse. That's that's the thing that felt most like real life to me watching yeah. the show. It's like the Malaysian government has handed out single issue bags with a single bottle of water, a handful of masks, and duct tape. Just like good luck. Exactly, uh, good luck. <laughs> you gotta figure it out. And you're in a she's in a hotel room. It's not like she has food. Yeah. You know, like no. The rooms are all connected to one another via airways. Uh, it's If you were going to communicate a disease while keeping people separate, you put them in a hotel. This is the worst possible scenario for her. It's like, there's no, theoretically, right? There's no surviving that. So no. one of the questions is, is Miranda alive? And, right. you know, how did she escape that mm-hmm. that moment? It, to me, it seems unlikely. Like, this is kind of the fun part about yeah. doing this without having seen the ending is we get to wonder with everybody here. But, um, you know, I, I'm curious to see how they weave her back in. And I can't imagine they wouldn't in our finale episode. Yeah, well, we'll see her. She's uh, Daniel Deadweiler is credited on every episode. I think that's partly a symptom of like, this is a new show and IMDb never has their shit together when a new show <laughs> comes out. Uh, until yesterday, I swear to God, until yesterday, every like Hiro Mirai, the director of many of the episodes was credited as lead director on every episode and then with support with some others. Uh, that's not the case. Uh, this is a shared directing duty. Anyway, so I don't know what's going to happen with Miranda. I would love to see more of her. It would be a crime if we didn't, but yeah. I know in my heart of hearts, to my disappointment, that the the better artistic thing is going to be, no, she she fucking died. Yeah. It doesn't matter how important someone ends up becoming to somebody else's journey in life. That, that, that person died. This doesn't spare people because we like them. Yeah. And there's also, you know, this her great relationship with Arthur. It, it's a great... Um, It's a great relationship study here because this man is incredibly selfish, like any good actor, um, and (laughs) (laughs) incredibly self-absorbed, and but also talented, presumably to a certain extent. And yeah, um, you see her sort of fall in love with this guy um, over the course of a night where he essentially picks her up at a diner. and they fall in love and inexplicably like people do there's a connection that can't be erased and we sort of get to see their relationship evolve and one of my favorite scenes Mm -hmm. in the entirety of the show is the the dinner scene where oh yeah where clark who's another great character who we'll we'll talk about in a moment which is arthur's best friend clark they were in rosencrantz and gildenstern together um uh, they never specify whether they were in Hamlet together or if they were in Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. We might have to do some research right. there. But <laughs> they played these two, you know, very close jovial characters um, together. Uh, I shouldn't say jovial, but maybe comedic um, characters. <laughs> you can get away with what, in describing theater to me, you can get away with whatever you want. I'm not going to fact check you on this, but go ahead. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, so they are all at, at dinner with um, Arthur's newest, latest co-star, Elizabeth. Um, and there's this moment where she just sort of figures out that this guy is having an affair with this chick, you know? He has moved on. Like, his his emotional attention span is shorter than everybody else's. Um, Yes, it is. And she realizes this, gives this great toast, which I believe is the line from the the Station Eleven comic. I I think she's quoting one of his movies back at him. That's right. Yeah, his shitty movie back at him. Yes, his shitty action movie, which is, I, you know, something like, I saw... 
I looked over the earth at the end of the world and saw the destruction uh-huh. and she flips over her wine glass and lets her red wine pour all over the table <laughs> and uh-huh. walks away. It's just so good. That was so, like, talk about a great am- acting moment for Danielle Deadweiler. Like that was an excellent moment of television. I very much Incredible stuff. It. Incredible <laughs> stuff. So yeah, that's, that's Arthur and Miranda. Uh, but we touched on two, our two, our next pair basically, yeah. which is Clark and Elizabeth. So Clark uh, is the long suffering friend of Arthur Leander, <laughs> who is the first to hear the news of his death, um, decides to travel to Chicago as sort of an executor of Arthur's will at this point, like a Has really to close get his contact. Body back. Has to get his body back. Is kind of a custodian of the death. Um, um, while at the same time, Elizabeth and our and Elizabeth and Arthur's son uh, Tyler are traveling to Chicago to do basically the same thing, and they are they meet on the plane. Um, we learn much later that Clark has basically relapsed into his alcoholism and has had a recent very embarrassing bender in front of uh, Elizabeth, Arthur, and Tyler. Um, so That's the friendship a great is fractured. Well. It's really fucking that. good. Man. I just watched it's that really yesterday. Good. It's so good. I love when Elizabeth's like, your Uncle Clark had what we call a bender. Uh, <laughs> it's really great. And uh, so, so they're basically sharing a flight in two different class sections uh, back to Chicago when they are rerouted uh, as a result of the, the pandemic uh, and they land in Wisconsin. Yes? Mm, something like that. <laughs> something like that. They're near Lake Michigan, wherever, yes. they, where, wherever they are. Yeah. Um, and uh, they they realize after a couple of days of being held in this airport with no sign of uh, from the government, from society, anything, anything's going to change, that they are in probably the best case scenario for pandemic survival. Um, they are sequestered with only uh, healthy people, uh, and they decide, take it upon themselves in short order, to kind of rebuild their own little society, their museum of civilization within this airport. Um, and that was my favorite episode of the series so far, I think was the airport episode that was so much fun for me that felt like a lost episode to me um but yeah that's basic clark i i got a lot of heart for clark got a lot of space in my soul for mr clark he's a very frustrating man and and uh, very pompous uh not not a great dude all things considered but he's able to find the better part of himself which is uh turns out to be a leader uh he, he's able to kind of rally the troops i mean he is a classic villain in the sense that he has not received any of the Mm -hmm. acknowledgement that his friend Arthur has and maybe equally if not more talented but has had to do something else with his life as a result of not being a successful actor just constantly overlooked and he finds himself in a moment where he can say like there, there's this great moment where um, somebody essentially disguises themselves as uh, I can't remember exactly <laughs> like some sort of some federal, federal agent, yeah, exactly uh, agent, and says, "I'm gonna take a few people with me, and we're gonna go to Florida, and we're gonna live on the beach, and I want you." Not to Not a few one of those people. people. He took a, a teenage girl soccer team with him to a private island in and a plane. Only yeah. women, you know. So, you know, use your imagination as to what he was actually going to do with this uh-huh. group of people and. Uh, good portion of people go with him and he has clark has this great speech where he steps out in the middle of his stage which is the airport which later becomes an actual stage and Mm -hmm. says we are here to not do what that guy just did 
when in reality, he is doing exactly what that guy just did, but is justifying it in a different way as a good person and as a leader of this group. And it's so Shakespearean, I can't get over it. Um, It's really beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. fantastic. (laughs) So th- this is also the the another villain origin story. Two villains were birthed from the airport. Um, we have Clark, of course, who's become the king of his own little fiefdom. Um, finds love as well. Good for him. He hooks up in the airport as well. <laughs> Good job, Clark. Um, but we 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 also see um, a character we had met in a later timeline, uh, Tyler, uh, becoming the prophet essentially, becoming a cult leader uh, within the airport. Um, his origin story is effectively that uh, there has been a. Pl- grounded outside of the airport uh, where there it's become known that some of the passengers are infected uh, and they are not allowed to leave the plane or enter the airport uh, for fear of contaminating the others Um, and Tyler spends a lot of his time as this young kid very bright kid um, just looking at this plane out the window of the airport just wondering and imagining plane full of people dying that's exactly right. He sees death and he's being um, he's being prevented from helping these people survive. Uh, one night he takes it upon himself uh, because someone has exited the plane. A man has stumbled out, apparently a survivor, apparently someone immune from the flu to Tyler's reckoning. He's probably right. Uh, and leads him back into the airport where that man is immediately killed by a member of a former a former airline employee, basically. And then, like, the prophet is born. Uh, the prophet, I, to the best I can figure, like, and I, his motivations are not entirely clear to me, uh, but Tyler seems basically uh, to be fanatically dedicated to eradicating the world as it was before the pandemic. Do I, was that your impression? I think he's frustrated. And I think we get a little bit more of this in, I can't remember, it was the most recent episode where they yeah. they return to the airport and he confronts his mother and Clark right. and um where he was met with from these people who claimed to be the good guys Clark and Elizabeth and whoever trying to recreate a world being so unwilling to help other humans yeah that they they literally killed him upon entry he has seen destruction in the same way the earth had been just annihilated right and he was saying nothing is changing and it's not a world i want to be a part of which is like the reoccurring phrase of there is no before i think the reality for tyler is he doesn't want the before he he wants a different world and he runs away and fakes his own death to try and get to that point and he's also pushed there like he overhears the the person he maybe trusts the most clark saying we got to get him out of here um yeah for, for yeah, reasons I haven't quite put risk. together why. I haven't either. I, I imagine we'll get more of that in the final episode. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, basically, after the after the man from the plane is killed, uh, Tyler and Elizabeth are quarantined together uh, in another plane in a hangar for a month where Tyler takes his copy of Station Eleven given to him as a gift by his father, although indirectly, and just makes it his Bible. Becomes like fanatically obsessed with this, uh, turns it into doctrine that he would then carry forward as his... Uh, basically a a cult mantra uh, in the coming years. Um, And we meet Tyler much, much later uh, when he visits our big old group, our traveling symphony. And that's a a good segue as we're going to get. It it is, but I'm going to rewind for just one moment. And maybe there was another way for us to get here, but I'm just going to go there. No, it's fine. Um, The the 
the most the best part of this most recent episode i think it's the second to last episode is this um comparison and juxtaposition with hamlet being the 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 show that elizabeth wants to direct the symphony in and clark quickly puts the kibosh on this like i know i approved it because i wanted it to happen but i'm not going to do it because theater gives the audience power and I don't want these young kids to see right. the kind of anger that Hamlet Uh-oh. has uh-huh. to potentially <laughs> overthrow what I have built. I don't want anyone to question what I have built. And I think yes. it's just a, like, obviously, it's doing this very obviously, but this is something I'm a sucker <laughs> for. But like the power of theater and the power of emotion, uh, you know, what you're witnessing the more uh-huh. information you have, the more decisions you are empowered to make. And I just love that moment where Hamlet becomes this big problem <laughs> um, for Clark. Because again, comparing him to a classic villain, of course yep. he is threatened by that uh, and not wanting it to happen. Um, instead of embracing the power of thought and the power of theater and the power of reading, he adamantly rejects it as a possibility of an overthrow and i just thought that moment was really uh, awesome yeah he's <laughs> I love with, that holding he's withholding information power and the means of production so to speak from the younger generations yes, yes. it's a very like it's not a very veiled metaphor for the world as it is exactly. um, but yeah so yeah but, but but that that's what makes him such an enemy to tyler and tyler's such an enemy to him because he's reconstructing the world as it was right like the there's an extremely clunky moment in the show when Tyler is basically cataloging yes. all of Wikipedia on his little uh, on his Game Boy Advance, whatever <laughs> system he has there. And he's like, why don't we just delete the entry for capitalism? Why don't we just get rid of it? I was like, okay, guys, come on, come on. <laughs> a little on but, the nose. Yeah, <laughs> a touch on the nose. And I know he's a child. He can be forgiven for this. Uh, but and presumably yeah, we, we a get... child that maybe doesn't even under, quite understand what capitalism <laughs> right. is at that point. <laughs> Could be. He just knows it's bad let's just get rid of it um but yeah tyler is kind of stuck in his in his childhood mentally so to speak because uh because he he has his little mission that he's on um but let's talk about the symphony buddy uh in uh, i believe episode two um we find out that by jumping ahead of the timeline that kirsten is uh disconnected from jeevan at a certain point uh we know they cross like michigan together in a what must have been a harrowing journey um but they've they've become lost from each other uh but kirsten stumbles upon uh lori petty the oh. conductor uh <laughs> right the, the composer and conductor for the traveling symphony she's really great in this by the she way she's fantastic uh, but the this is kind of why I thought I would want to talk talk to you about this particular show because uh, the it, it lays bare kind of the the artistic purpose behind the show uh, when we meet the uh, the traveling symphony. What did you think of this, buddy? So it's really fascinating, and and I'll I'll let this be known, and please don't hold me to any facts that that I'm butchering here. But I I definitely <laughs> am a big Shakespeare fan. I studied it in all four years of my college career, uh, and got to do a lot of performing of it. But I am a sucker for anything that sees the relevance and the importance of literature like that, and traveling symphony has seen just that. And presumably the one copy of something that is in every home is, you know, that that the traveling symphony could easily find access to. Right. 
is Shakespeare, right? And so it becomes incredibly relevant to this group of people who essentially perform Shakespeare going around whatever lake it is they're moving around. Uh Uh-huh. And... um, I love this idea that that is the way that these people find purpose is through performance. And um, they find it through their own artistic contributions, whether it's making the costumes out of gloves, uh, of Mm -hmm. golf gloves, or um, uh, composing the the, uh, accompaniment to Hamlet. Like, how do you do that? How do you create music that goes with Hamlet? Something (laughs) as strong uh, and as powerful as a as a play like that right um and also acknowledging that it's incredibly overdone (laughs) and um yeah what are you going to bring to hamlet that hasn't been done before exactly and so i really the traveling symphony is fascinating just as a concept would humans come together and perform shakespeare in a post-apocalyptic world and in this case the answer is yes Uh, And that is pretty special. And how did these people find each other and all suddenly agree to do this and then make people that want to join them audition (laughs) for the Traveling Symphony? It's 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 its own power structure in and of itself. Um, But I I am very appreciative. And this is probably what carried me into the liking of this show is ah, is. interesting. I can appreciate how we are understanding the world through the eyes of of Shakespeare or whatever, you know? Right. Um, and my, my reaction was quite different to that part of the show, as I'm <laughs> sure you can imagine. And this is why we make our little show, uh, is to discover why we love things being who we are. Um, if I imagine myself in the post-apocalypse and I stumble upon a traveling theater troupe, I would simply say, no, thank you. Uh, <laughs> no, I'll, I'll take my chances out here with the wolves, guys. You, you all have fun. Be easy. I'm, I'm happy for you. Uh, but the... The idea that the most beautiful thing in America, so far as we can understand it, is this group of people who call it Shakespeare, call it art, call it insisting on doing something together simply for the sake of making something beautiful is really, really lovely. And, and that's uh, yeah, theater. So, like, it's just amazing. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this this could have been, like, recreating the movie Jaws. This could have been doing any number of things, could have been starting to ban something. But the running theme of the show is survival is insufficient. That's a line from Station Eleven. It's not enough to survive. We simply must create beauty, because that is why people are around. And it's a really beautiful thought. Um, so that is why that group sticks together. It's because they've all experienced accepted that the world is over as they knew it so to speak there's nothing they can do about that they are powerless in this equation god is going to do what god's going to do but what we can do what we're in charge of is insisting on making something beautiful in the world which is a really lovely thing really amazing thought I love so, that. I think that's it's fantastic. It's really lovely. Yeah. <laughs> so that's and if the show accomplishes nothing else, the idea that to reaffirm that that that's the part of the human soul that's eternal, it's kind of nice. Kind of nice. And man, if that doesn't hit me really particularly fucking hard in times like these, um, right? So like, like our show is this little show that we're doing right now is what it is. It's a small thing. Um, we've accrued twenty three dollars so far that we can't get to. Uh, that's been stonewalled from us. Um, but it, it's not about that. It's about like I love you. You're my best friend, and I want to, regardless of what's going on, like insist and sometimes force myself uh, to to share what I love with you. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, 
The show's great. The show's really it's great. Excellent. We <laughs> love it. And also, just to continue on the metaphor uh, of what's current metaphor, the juxtaposition of what is actually happening to us in real life, like this is something we've been incredibly deprived of in a COVID world. Yeah. Is no this shit. type of creation yeah. and connection? Like right now, we're recording this podcast in two separate homes via a virtual, you know, system. Which uh-huh. you know, grateful an to unreliable have, one at that. Yeah. <laughs> grateful to have the technology, <laughs> but the reality is, is like you know, I've seen you once in the last two months. You know, yeah. so like, um, there, and we, I haven't been to theater in two months. You know, like we were in before that two years. So like, yeah. there are pieces of our beings that are missing, and we can't do that because of the world that was created. So of course, when you can get back to that. That would be a first instinct of human nature. I mean, that's pretty right. promising in some aspects, but also um, just a, it's it's watch Station Eleven. It's really good. Uh, <laughs> but that's also like the, the I almost miss like neglected talking about this particular thought that's been recurring to me through watching this is that these are extremely different pandemics, yes. uh, ours and the one in the show. Sure. In that the the one in the show is decisive and it's non-negotiable and it's fast it happens within weeks where the the world population is completely decimated by this thing um our pandemic is slow and stupid and grinding <laughs> and up for uh, apparently endless debates uh where uh, people are still on the fence about whether this shit is real and right. no one can get their minds around a single idea that would advance us forward um it's basically a free-for-all and it's a car crash happening in slow motion so the that's such a good the, point the, because this <laughs> this pandemic in the show uh-huh. you can't argue with it like it's literally happening you can see it happening yep it's happening to everybody um, all around you all the time yeah it, yeah i mean <laughs> yeah mm-hmm no and that's comment. something that could that's something that could lead eventually uh, to uh, to a world like we see in this show where people are just left with this world. They've yes. just inherited this nothing, this whatever they make of it. Um, and that's a that's a great canvas to start painting on, bud. It's a great canvas to start thinking like, well, what what world would be made by people and what would that world then say about its creators? What would we get to know and understand about people about by the decisions that they've made in a situation like this? Um, but this is all making it sound like the show is very clear cut and very didactic about this when it really, really isn't. No. This is a, a hazy kind of messy show that is not very, easily defined or grappled with it's i i still don't and we've said it throughout the the record here like i still don't understand the motivations of all the characters and i'm kind of gratified by by that alone like i don't want necessarily this to be spelled out for me um but this is a show that that demands rewatching, and it's uh, and I have done for a few of the episodes some of the standouts. I have rewatched them a second time, and it really, really is a gratifying experience seeing the small things you missed, having the context of everything we know so far. Um, it, it's it really gratifying to watch. Yeah, and I also think the different worlds that we see being built is. Um an interesting part of the show as well, right? So you have the Traveling Symphony, but you also have this airport universe, which we see evolve into a little civilization. Like they have 
school. They have um, uh-huh. medicine, presumably. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a little world. And, and they have know, a little piece of the old world as well, which is exactly. what makes it so beguiling to members of the Traveling Symphony when they have access to that suddenly. They have karaoke. Uh, they, they have the, the world's dominant art form, karaoke, the most beautiful <laughs> expression of one's heart and soul. Um, but yeah, they, they still have some lingering aspects of the world as it was. And the natural inclination of a lot of people is to crave those things, is to crave like in the one of the first episodes, we have a conversation with uh, between uh, Alex and and Kirsten about what Uber was Uh, just discussing like you could just tell this application where you are and a car will come get you and the mystifying experience of explaining that to someone who was born into a world without it Um, these people crave normalcy and what what the world was uh, and others uh, born into the new world want to destroy it or ambivalent about it Um, pretty cool shit pretty cool shit (laughs) Pretty good. And what makes it really good is it's hard to even know where we go from here. So there's a couple of characters that we haven't talked about yet. Um, Let's get into it. One of which is Frank. Um, Let's talk about Frank. (laughs) So Frank is a character we hear of at the beginning um, via Jeevan talking to his sister, saying you need to get to Frank. And Jeevan's sister, Sia, I think. Yeah, that's Um, right. Sia is a doctor who's incredibly uh, uh, involved in the pandemic at this point, helping patients. And it's inevitable what will happen to Sia, as many of our healthcare workers in our current uh-huh. situation have have sacrificed their their life and um, put their life in jeopardy to save others. And it's exactly what Sia is doing as a doctor um, knows the severity of this disease and urges Jeevan to get to Frank. And so that is where we end up with Jeevan and Kirsten uh, in in day, day one or day zero yeah. of, of the pandemic. And Frank... Yeah, this, despite, despite C is like trash mask protocol uh, <laughs> yeah. she's able to save at least two lives uh, exactly. it, by getting them to this high-rise apartment in chicago winter yeah <laughs> yeah uh and frank we hear this very briefly is like a nobel prize winning uh right writer <laughs> presumably yeah journalist yeah. yeah yeah we learned that he's been uh he's been injured he's got a bum leg he was injured in some kind of uh war-torn area where he caught shrapnel in his leg yeah. and is thus um like sunk into a depression and a, a touch of heroin addiction we find out yes <laughs> a little a little bit of drugs uh <laughs> <laughs> a whisper of a whisper of heroin <laughs> uh, and so jeevan and kirsten show up at frank's door with like five grocery carts so with full of $10,000 worth of groceries. Let's talk about that. I want to break this down with you. Five grocery carts equating to $10,000 of groceries? Excellent. Let's break that down. Because uh, money doesn't matter. Like, in this world, money's not going to matter. So sure, take my credit no, card. No, of course it doesn't. I have no problem with them having spent $10,000. I have a problem with the show having me assume that one could accommodate $10,000 worth of spending with only five carts of groceries. <laughs> do the math on that, Jesse. That doesn't work out. Also, I couldn't do that in New York at the fine fair down the street. <laughs> have you been to Chicago? And if you've been to Chicago and know how much cheaper cost of living is in Chicago, though it's not not cheap 
food costs half as much as it does in New York. <laughs> easily. Easily. And I that man has not spent $10,000 at that grocery store. I don't care how bougie it is or how lovely it looks. Or the variety of Yoohoo that they have on sale at this grocery store, it. which I was very it's envious strawberry of. Strawberry Yoohoo, chocolate <laughs> Yoohoo. <laughs> so it's a, that's my little gripe out of the way. They make it in the freight elevator uh, uh, to Frank's apartment, and that's where they spend the first hundred days. They have their nice little, uh, their nice little uh, COVID place uh, during yeah. the during this big storm. Yeah, in this beautiful apartment, by the way, like really good job, Frank. <laughs> pretty good. Yeah, we're <laughs> um, having pretty this, nice place you got there. Yeah, Frank. you got a view of the 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 lake. You got a or the river, or whatever, whatever the fuck it is outside mm-hmm. of your window. Um, you know, it's snowing. Lovely for- view of the. Uh, Lovely view of that plane crash. That at some plane point crash, too, huh? fucking yeah, a. front row seats. Hated and that was that, that was a. Uh, that's when I knew I liked the show, though, because they don't show the plane crash, Jesse. Uh, they, they, this is not a show concerned with the death and destruction and carnage of it all. They we watch the the plane crash play out on the faces of our characters. We yeah, just but see if you have a good imagination, it. you can fucking picture. <laughs> well, yeah, no, no, no. I'm saying you're you're right to think that a plane crash, fictional or not, is bad. You're right. <laughs> Uh, I love it. But yeah, it's a beautiful apartment. And presumably, you know, their food stays cold because they have no electricity. Mm -hmm. um, And they have enough food to get them through the first hundred days. And Frank, being the smart man that he is, can calculate that in a matter of seconds. How he does that, I don't know. While still having time to put together an extremely dope remix of Excursions by Tribe Called Quest and performing it for them. Yes, Frank's a good guy. That's a good moment right there. (laughs) It's really good, dude. (laughs) Uh, Because there are those little moments of joy, right? Like doing this little rap dance, um, putting on a play. Like you have to do these things because they are the little moments of joy in what could otherwise be a horrific and, you know, I want to get out of here by way of suicide-inducing time, right? <laughs> um, which right. you know many people have done, um, as we learn later uh, in the show. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, what I think is also really interesting, and I'll circle back to Frank in a moment, is this idea that like there are people who have survived and then not survived as a result of different things. So right. Um, you know, the guy in the apartment below has jumped out of the window or, or mm-hmm. whoever lived in the apartment below. Um, the 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 guy whose family dies in the home presumably survived a lot longer than his family, but probably right. died of star- starvation, presumably, or something, something else or that he- wasn't the <laughs> flu. Yeah, I, I, I glocked suicide from that. Um, I thought I thought maybe he had killed himself. Really? After. Yeah, I thought, well, he had lived long enough to, like, make a memoriam to his family out of, like, a voicemail message. He had, like, coded that into his Casio keyboard that right. uh, even gets to play at a certain point. But no, I well, for whatever reason, he's dead, too. Yes. But yeah, like, there, there, there are as many non-flu-related deaths in this show as there are flu deaths that we see, anyway, that are depicted on camera. There are far more in the story yes. uh, for the flu. But yeah, the, the a, a, a decision that a lot of people arrive to in the, in the wake of this flu is suicide or death by totally. other means. Yeah. So to circle back to Frank. So Frank is someone who Kirsten bonds with very quickly, arguably quicker than Jeevan, uh, someone who listens to her and asks questions yeah. and, you know, wants to hear about her book, wants to hear about her play. And she finds him supportive and comforting in a time that's really scary. 
Uh, right. And so he becomes this fixture for her. Uh, and ultimately, we get to this place where we have to grapple with this idea that they have to move on from this apartment because they're running out of supplies. Yeah. But they can't take everybody, right? Nope. Um, uh, <laughs> and that is, that's a decision that's kind of thrust upon them uh, right. by, by a violent intruder uh, holding what would become uh, Kirsten's knife later in the series. Yeah, yeah Frank is, is killed very shockingly in Ugh. the apartment. That was a very scary scene to watch. Very scary. Like, holy shit, this Ugh. guy is like, what do you make of that? Like, where did that guy come from? Why, why was he looking to destroy the people he found as opposed to try and join he them? Did, that, that guy came from wherever Frank's apartment wasn't. Uh, that guy has had a rough 90 days, uh, 90 some odd days out in the, out in the Chicago winter, which is no fucking joke. You guys, it's extremely cold in Chicago in the winter. Uh, and yeah, he's just been doing whatever he has to do to survive. He wasn't in Frank's apartment. They, they didn't know how good they had it until they meet this gentleman with a knife. Um, and Frank is uh, very tragically killed. Um, and ultimately, that decision, something like that mm-hmm. had to happen in order for them to move on, you know? Like, there was no way Jeevan was going to be able to make the decision between his brother or Kirsten. Um, That's a decision he probably couldn't have made that needed to be decided for him. Right. And it's uh, that moment is... Uh, like rids both Jeevan and Kirsten with a lot of guilt because Jeevan was unable to protect his brother uh, despite taking taking the guy out eventually and protecting Kirsten. Uh, And for Kirsten, it's because she insisted they stay one day longer to put on the play. uh, And that's a day where uh, where Frank dies. So that's that's just the saddest shit that happens in this show man but besides nine billion people dying uh, this is some real dire real sad shit. And there's, you know, this beautiful moment where Kirsten sort of gets to, after she is poisoned, we haven't really spent a lot of time on Kirsten yet, but um, she, she, she comes back into this world um, of the apartment for, for what is, you know, kind of like a flashback or a reliving of this moment that yeah. she probably didn't fully get to process in the moment where she gets to say goodbye to Frank and essentially watch his body decompose and the the oh, life God. grow in the apartment. And that was a heartbreaking scene, but an important one for her character right. to be able to say goodbye as we learned that that's a, a challenge for Kirsten. Uh, cause she, yeah. she says goodbye to no one. Her, her parents, Frank, she, you know, we learned Jeevan as well. She doesn't get to say that to anybody. No, she doesn't. Yeah, let, let's talk about Kirsten for a second, because we have two extremely great performances happening as Kirsten here. So let, let's give some shout outs to Matilda Lawler playing young Kirsten, just one in a billion child actor, <laughs> just incredibly good. No precociousness, just straight up, just this is just a human being yep. uh, that is lovely and has uh, agency and a thought process and is funny and smart. Uh, just a lot, a lot of the groundwork for uh, what would become Mackenzie Davis's performance. And I love Mackenzie Davis, by the way. She's, she's fucking great. They um, do a great job of adopting one another's... Uh, sensibilities with facial expressions and just yeah. responses. It's really, they do a really nice job together. 
And it's partly by virtue of the storytelling style of cutting back and forth constantly that we see them mirrored so closely together with one another. And we see um, sometimes the the words from one character will, uh, spoken by one character, will leave the mouth of another. It's it's really, really beautiful storytelling. But uh, yeah, having this, this child, who I'm not familiar with, never seen her in anything, um, kind of dictate the performance of an actor I really, really respect a lot, like Mackenzie Davis, is, is really something else. It's a special thing. Uh, and discovering after the fact, after having watched this and like interviews and stuff, that uh, Matilda's stuff was shot first. So Mackenzie mm. Davis didn't have a lot of say in the matter. She was following the directions of a kid, even though the kid uh, they hadn't met at that point. She was uh, being dictated to. Um, just incredible performances. Love her yeah. a lot. Mackenzie Davis, uh, Terminator. Great. Real life. Really awesome. good. And let's also talk about, so just continue the idea of her not being able to say goodbye. Um, yeah. There's the moment where she and Jeevan have to escape and they find. Oh, my God. They find this cabin in the woods um, where they sort of make a home for a brief moment in time. You know, where they figure out how to hunt food and uh, make a life and they get to watch the occasional movie because they find a car right. battery, you know, uh-huh. that, <laughs> that charges the TV. And what are they, they watch Pretty in Pink, right? Yeah, they watch some yeah, yeah, yeah. some 80s throwback. But yeah, pretty uh, nice. it's yeah. Pretty in Pink, I'm pretty sure. Um, <laughs> and uh, this moment where I think the episode is, in fact, Leave and Jeevan. Um, Mm-hmm. That that we see this moment happen. Um, Jeevan is becoming incredibly frustrated by Kirsten being so consumed by this this comic book, Station Eleven. And he needs a partner. He needs another human yeah. to have a connection with. And he's not getting that from this presumably like 13, 14 year old kid. <laughs> um, and Oh gosh, the scene is so hard. But he he throws after going going on an adventure, going scavenging, where he goes into this house and uh-huh. um, gets hit by a balloon sack by some pregnant gets, stranger. Yeah, he gets beanbag gunned by a marauder. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, Kirsten doesn't act when he needs her to act. He's he's frustrated. He's lonely you know and he fucking throws the book away he's like no more of this book please Mm -hmm. and um then it becomes this moment where she realizes where is this book and he's like fine i'll fucking go get it for you you know but like (laughs) i need you to be here for me kind of thing Uh um and at this point we it has been alluded that jeevan has left or abandoned her in some way. Yeah, we know they're separated at this point. Yeah. Um, but we don't know how. And this is the moment where we find out how. And in effort not to ruin it, it's really harrowing and awful. <laughs> it's incredible. And Jeevan ends up. <laughs> but it's up- also, that's the funniest moment in the entire show for me. When it happens, <laughs> yes. when it comes from off screen. It just, it, I laughed out loud uh, watching <laughs> oh. that last night. It's so funny. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I hate wolves from the very beginning of my childhood. From where Beauty and the Beast. Uh, and, oh yeah, that's tough you shit. Know, like yeah. that's. Sucks, they were but, scary. Uh, didn't like it, but there is that great <laughs> moment where he's like, having been attacked by this animal, and he finds the fucking comic, and he's like so pretentious as he's flipping through it in his anguish overnight in the woods. And, and then, do we like? I, I I do feel like we're maybe spoiling stuff at this. We spoiled everything at this yeah. point, but we're just talking um, about it. <laughs> I was just talking, man. Like, because he gets taken in. This is like the series' weirdest episode, uh, but yes. also one of its most touching. Uh, yeah, Jeevan is uh, rescued by a cohort of the Marauder who beanbagged him. Um, and he's taken back after having 
posed as a doctor on a ham radio to these survivors uh, to get him and Kirsten safe passage with them or maybe some supplies. Um, the the This gang of pregnant women who have taken up in a department store uh, and are all cycling around the same time, which, around the same delivery day. raises so many questions. How did that happen? How did all these women find one uh-huh. another? Where did they come from? Yeah, best I can determine is that the 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 doctor, who's wonderful in this show yes. and very scary and crazy, uh, <laughs> has put out the put out the call on the ham radio, like, "Hey, I'm a doctor. We got a pregnant woman here. If you are pregnant in need of some help, please come over here." Uh, and Jeevan is kidnapped by this gang of pregnant marauders <laughs> and brought to the department store, and it's so good because then- they think he's a doctor. And they they have to amputate his foot and they like imagine being that group of women like kidnapping this doctor, rehabilitating him, amputating his foot, nursing him for two weeks and then finding out he's not a fucking doctor. Um, And it's so funny because like any other show would have made the whole episode like can Jeevan pull it off? Can he pretend to be a doctor in this thriller? And like, no, everyone fucking knows. They're like, oh, you're the guy pretending to be the doctor, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But then Jeevan finally gets to jump on stage for real this time. Jeevan finally gets to become the person who he's probably destined to be, which is a healer. He gets to be the doctor that he wanted to be in episode one. So uh, I, I will not take credit for this. This is Jason's observation. But no, go for it. Jeevan becomes his siblings. So yes, he does. He gets, you know, injured and, and has a limp as a result of his amputated foot. Uh, like his brother Frank, and becomes the caretaker that his sister was in being a doctor. Mm -hmm. And what I think is really great about that is is he – he didn't he was always sort of the sibling that like really didn't do as much as his siblings did. Um right. but in this world he gets to become the best of both of them with Jeevan's sensibility as a healer and as a connector. Um yeah. and as a you know a person who wants to be around other people. Um mm-hmm. And it's really, really nicely done. It's really lovely. It's really. <laughs> I loved this group of women too, and I loved their relationship yeah. with Jeevan and one another. Um, yeah, they're they're all they're kind, but they're also kind of violent and scary and edgy and uh, like just a, a cool episode that I would not have guessed was coming. Could not have guessed. Like a really <laughs> yeah. nice little surprising interlude at the near the end of the show of him being a, a doctor to like six different pregnant women giving birth. The really best part of that episode is where the doctor understands he's not a doctor, but says, no, 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 you are no, going to no, no. be a doctor. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have too much invested in that. We have sunk cost, buddy. No, you're a doctor. I don't give a shit. I loved it because he, and that's exactly what he becomes. Um, by by way of learning the the opening of a cervix through the size of an Oreo. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> really excellent. <laughs> And this like the the texture that this show has of like learning the very brief backstory of the doctor who was running a Ponzi scheme with her orderlies and lost her medical license and thus is the only doctor to have survived uh, the the apocalypse. Incredible shit. That was some real like. There is a lot of like Last Man on Earth energy. Is that yes. a show you ever watched? I before? love Last Man on Earth. So do I. And I think this show has a lot of really funny moments playing in the same playground that that show did for so many times. But but like that show is what it is. It's just straight comedy. But that that was a real last man on earth moment. But we've we've pretty much caught up with the show at this point. We have. Uh, We've. Like, um, shouts out to the cast and crew of this. I I wanted to give a shout out. Like the reason I started watching the show to begin with is because 
someone had mentioned that uh one that the the showrunner or head writer on this show was uh, a writer on the leftovers one of my favorite shows of all time patrick somerville uh, patrick somerville also was responsible for made for love one of my favorite shows of last year another limited series one season only uh, a book adaptation um i'm very excited to see whatever he comes up with next because i think he's he he his focuses and his brain are different than mine in a very interesting way to me. And I like the de- the decisions that he's making with the show in particular. So I wanted to give him a shout out. Also shout out to the, the, the directing crew here. Hiro Murai, who's responsible for all the directing in Atlanta. I wanted to ask you, have you seen Atlanta, by the way? I have not. Jesse, I think you would like Atlanta a lot. <laughs> it's one of the, I can't wait for it to come back. The, the trailer for the new season just dropped. It's a really, really exciting TV show and one of the best of its kind. Um, but here, Mirai either co-directs or directs every episode here. But the assistance from, I want to get these names right, Jeremy Podeswa, who did a bunch of Game of Thrones episodes. Helen Shaver, who was like an 80s actress, started The Mom in a lot of different horror movies and nice. started directing in like her early 50s, if I'm not mistaken. Just crushing some of the best directed episodes of the series and lucy cherniak who i think is a burgeoning filmmaker um does some really really interesting work behind the camera on this show it's just not only is it a competently made show it's a very very beautifully directed show yes it is i agree and i think that i mean a a lot of the reasons we probably really love this show is due to the excellent writing of Emily St. John Mandel as well. That's right. Um, but I think the the way that they have adapted it to the screen is very satisfactory. And I would go so far as to guess that book readers are probably uh-huh. pretty satisfied with how this is coming out. And if they're not, I'd like to know why. So tell us, listeners, if you've read the book. So would I. Absolutely. <laughs> I would love yeah, I'm gonna to be, know. <laughs> I'm going to be touching base with Alexa pretty soon to see her take on this whole thing, because I would love to know what like what they missed, what they what they got right, what they nailed. But like, there are a lot of things that like the editing style of this show is very novelistic. That's something that could probably only be pulled off in a book rather than a TV show. Some interesting stuff. Last little like cast and crew shout out here. You know, there's something to be said about how do you costume a show like this? Right. And we, we've touched on the amazing costumes that were made for the Traveling Symphony um, that they have made for themselves and the imaginative work that they would have had to do to create those costumes. Really well done. But also the idea that these people are literally wearing clothes that they've likely found in somebody's home. Oh, yeah. um, you know, like I love Kirsten in the majority of of the episodes as her older self is wearing this like soccer shirt uh-huh. polo thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> pretty great. And so I think uh, the the costumes can be attributed to Robert Welsh and Devony Greenwood. Um, and the, they're really, really fun to sort of see what might come out of someone's random Really closet. excellent so, shit. Yeah. Big big yeah. nod to two pieces of clothes in this. Oh, three from this most recent episode where Kirsten's uh, bright red poncho. Iconic look. <laughs> Great look. Yes. Um, and uh, two from Himesh Patel. Himesh Patel's coat, like the like the chevron multicolor coat that he's wearing at the cabin. Extremely yep. sick. Would wear right now. Really good look. Uh, and <laughs> Which was probably a woman's coat, I might uh, add. I'm pretty sure. Sometimes women's coats are better. I, I, I'm not above it, right? <laughs> uh, but then also, like, like imagine the glee when they picked out the final scrub. Like, the puzzle piece scrubs that he's wearing during the delivery scene of the, of the second to last episode. Imagine the 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 light that they would have had on their faces in choosing that really good stuff (laughs) absolutely good ones for sure the crafts people were extremely in the pocket with this show a lot of really good crafts work going on here awesome and that would have been so much fun to do too oh yeah absolutely (laughs) 
So final thoughts on Station Eleven. I think it's a show we would probably both recommend watching. I definitely do. <laughs> um, I think we'll we'll jury's still out as to whether we'll get a season two, but we know next week we're anticipating the final episode of the first season of the limited series. <laughs> yeah, and it, it'll just be whatever it is. Uh, like this might be the end of the story for us, and I'm totally okay with that. But I'd be delighted to get more. That's it. absolutely so. End <laughs> of story. Go watch it. Maybe we'll talk about the last episode, or we'll just let you piece that together for yourself. I, yeah, I, I think we'll mention it at some point, but no, no official <laughs> plans yet. And no, no official plans on our, on our next, uh, top, what our next topic is going to be. I know there are a lot of movies we got to catch up on, but uh, the, it, it will be, uh, whatever will be, will be. And you'll like it. Things are for the looking. If you got the money, quest is for the booking. Come on, everybody, let's get with the fly mode. Still got room on the truck, load of black boat. Listen to the rhyme to get a mental picture of this black man, black woman picture. Why do I say that? Cause I gotta speak the truth, man Doing what we feel for the music is the proof And planet on the ground, the act is so together Gonna fight strong, you need leverage to sever The unit, yes, the unit, yes, the unit Call the jazz is delivering each year LP filled with street goods You can find it on your rack in your record store